0: the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Listen now for the word of God. Immediately after feeding the 5,000, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, Jesus went up the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, being battered by the waves, was far from the shore, for the wind was against them. And early... Early in the morning, Jesus came walking toward them on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Have courage! I am! Do not "'Be afraid!' "'Peter answered him, saying, "'Lord, if it is you, "'command me to come to you on the water.' "'Jesus said, "'Come.' "'So Peter got out of the boat.' started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me! And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt when they got back into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. When you're learning a story by heart, one of the things they recommend is to pay attention to what words or concepts appear over and over in the story. In this one, it's fear. Fear of the water, fear of death, fear of the unknown of Jesus. It's in the boat, it's in the water, Fear is everywhere in this text. In fact, it's not clear which is more problematic, the wind and the waves or the disciples' fear. The good news in this passage is obviously, do not be afraid. This does not bode well for me. If the gospel refrain were, do not be angry, I'd be all set. Repress my anger? No problem! I actually have a special skill for that. But do not be afraid? That's a lot harder. Anyone who knows me well knows that I am not, by nature, impulsive, thrill-seeking, or a big risk-taker. When my husband and I decided last week to take some advice from Barbara Brown Taylor's book Learning to Walk in the Dark and go on a nighttime beach walk, guess who brought the headlamp just in case and refused to step foot in that black water? In other words, Peter and I, not soul twins. In fact, if he had consulted me before climbing out of that boat, I'm pretty sure I could have talked him out of it. Peter, just think with me a second. Best case scenario, it is Jesus, and he empowers you to walk on the water. Then what? I'll tell you what. You will become the disciple who walked on water. Suddenly, they will all want to know if you will do it again. And now, that's all anyone knows about you or wants to know. You wanted to become a champion swimmer? Forget about it. You, my friend, are stuck. And if you can't do it again, well, you're just a one-hit wonder. What a disappointment. Or think about this. People could actually resent you for walking on the water. I know, I know. Probably says more about them than you. But just be prepared to be called a show off behind your back. And that is only if you succeed. What if it's Jesus, but he's fed up with people not taking his word for it and refuses to help you? Okay, if it's really Jesus, he probably won't let you drown, but then you'll be the laughing stock of the boat. Oh, Peter, they'll sigh, and you can forget them ever taking you seriously again. Or what if it's not Jesus? What if the whole time this has all just been a figment of our imagination, just something we wanted to believe in? What if this whole Messiah thing was just easier than facing the truth, that nothing we do really matters, that in the end the world is the way the world is? Survival of the fittest, Pax Romana. Or say, it, or say it is Jesus and he really is walking on the sea. What? So now you've got to take on the sea too? If Jesus wants to take on the sea with his bare feet, that's one thing. But why not just let God be God? And let us worry about staying alive so we can keep fishing. I mean, be realistic, Peter. Maybe in a few years, if we work hard enough for the right people... We could have access to a bigger boat. Conquering the sea? Way out of our league, buddy. Thank God Peter didn't consult me. He consulted Jesus. And Jesus said, come on in. At first, Peter's response to Jesus seemed a little weird to me. But I think what came out of Peter's mouth may have been the result of him trying to work something out in his head about what it means to be a disciple of someone who can walk on the sea, which in biblical times represented chaos and death, the unknown, the biggest obstacle to escaping slavery and Pharaoh's mighty army, the biggest obstacle to reaching the promised land, If Jesus could walk on that, then Jesus was so connected to the power of God that nothing would be impossible for him. And if nothing were impossible for Jesus, then what about his disciples, whom he had already sent out with authority over unclean spirits and to heal? Just the day before, he had said to them, You give them something to eat. If they followed this Jesus, would there be any limits to what he might ask of them or to what they could accomplish with his help? I think Peter just had to see. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Can you imagine if this were the way we demanded proof of God's power and presence? Lord, if you are real, ask me to face the thing I am most afraid of. Lord, if you are real, ask me to do the thing That seems impossible. It's like Peter is figuring out that at the heart of Christian discipleship lies courage. Maybe he wasn't testing Jesus at all. Maybe he was testing himself. Am I really a disciple? Do I really believe that Jesus is who he says he is? If I do, then if Jesus asks me to, I can step out of this boat, which, if I am honest, isn't really the protection I thought it was anyway. What would you do if you knew you could not fail? Or maybe the better question is, what would you do if you believed that God would redeem even your failures. I attend a Bible study every Monday night at the Church Without Walls, the majority of whose members are or have been at one time homeless. And this past Monday, I asked the group to share a time when they had practiced courage. There was, as you might expect, a long Embarrassed silence. And then Deacon Joe asked Michael, who was sitting at the table, if he could tell us about this past Sunday. Michael, who stays at Salzbacher and who had barely said a word since we'd started, smiled an embarrassed smile and nodded, while at the same time hanging his head and refusing to make eye contact with any of us. So Joe began, over the past few months, It had become known at the Church Without Walls that Michael has a God-given talent for singing. So, Mother Beth and Deacon Joe have taken to asking him to help lead us in the singing of Amazing Grace, which we do at the end of every service. Last Sunday afternoon, apparently, they asked him if he would also sing something during communion. And he got up there and began singing... A song that didn't exist before he sang it. Joe was so excited. He was writing the song as he was singing it. At this, Michael's head popped up and his eyes were shining. I was afraid beforehand, he said, to be getting up in front of people and singing. And so I prayed But I felt like that's what God wants me to do. He wants me to use my gifts. So now I just pray before it's time. And God gives me peace. Sunday, during communion, he said softly, It was like it wasn't even me singing. It was like God himself was inside me singing that song. Michael reminded me that discipleship is not just about courage for its own sake, that underneath it all is the desire to be with God and the reward that comes with trusting God, from letting God inside us and not letting our fear of death or sadness or conflict or rejection, or any of the other hundred million things we're afraid of rule our lives. When we baptized Sarah Elizabeth Lockwood today, we promised to teach her about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I hope that one of the things that we teach her, by our words, but more importantly by our actions, Is what it's like not to be afraid. Because deep down you trust that God loves us and is more powerful than anything we fear. You probably know as well as I do how hard it is to experience joy when you are afraid, how hard it is to experience peace when you are afraid. How hard to enjoy freedom. I believe that God wants Sarah and all of us to experience life abundant. God wants us to experience joy and peace. I think Jesus knew this. I think that's why he went to such lengths to be alone up on that mountain to pray. Because if anyone was about to need a good shot of courage, it was Jesus. I mean, Herod had just wondered aloud if Jesus was not John the Baptist, risen from the dead. And given what Herod had done to John the Baptist, this did not bode well for Jesus' estimated lifespan. Jesus, and presumably his disciples too, were about to have to trust God through the darkest valley imaginable. You can almost hear the desperation in his question to Peter. Why did you doubt? For Jesus, at least in this passage, doubt and fear are synonymous. Which makes me think that it's probably not a bad idea for all of us to be practicing courage on a regular basis. Now, I'm not recommending, as Dwight suggested last week, that anyone go out and try walking on the St. John's River. Remember, you got to get clearance from the Lord first, and then that's on him. No, I'm, I'm a big fan of baby steps. Something as simple as putting a paintbrush to canvas or picking up your guitar after all these years, or submitting something less than perfect to the RPC Art Show. Or if art is not your thing, any of us can practice courage by learning something new, when we'd rather just jump straight into expert, or by saying, I'm sorry, when we hate to be wrong, Saying no, knowing it will disappoint someone. Speaking up, even though it might cause tension. Reaching out to someone maybe not our type. Asking for help when we'd so much rather appear strong. Who knows, with practice where we might be able to follow Jesus. Now maybe you're like Peter, and you can't help but think about courage with the pronoun me. I do wonder, though, what would have happened if Peter had responded to Jesus just a little bit differently. I wonder what would have happened if he had said, Lord, if it is you... Command us to come toward you on the water. Who knows, maybe when he got scared, James would have been there to put a reassuring hand on his shoulder. Maybe his wandering eyes would have followed John's steady gaze back toward Jesus. I wonder, what would you do? Riverside Presbyterian Church, if you knew you could not fail, what waters could we brave if we trusted